Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Um, We're in a sermon series called The Gospel of God. And uh, we started this series a number of weeks ago. I forget, I've lost count now. I keep laying stuff, I'm like a magician, I keep pulling stuff out, you know. Um, We started this series on the gospel of God. Uh, It's about Romans chapters 1 through 8. It is the clearest, most um, comprehensive presentation of the gospel in in all the Bible. It is Paul's uh, uh, dissertation on the gospel of God, the gospel that has the power unto salvation to those who believe, based on faith from first to last. And so last week, Dennis kind of summarized, uh, you know, the, the entire thing from, from Romans 1 through Romans, Romans 8, and, and I just want to kind of, I'm going to read this because I didn't have time preparing my sermon to, to get this where I'm just telling it. So I'm just going to read this, all right? So just bear with me as I, as I share this. Last week, summarized. Dennis summarized Dennis the gospel of God this way. He said, Romans 1.18 through 5.11 presents the first half of the gospel. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. Romans 5.12 through 8.39 presents the second half of the gospel. So, and, and, and then Romans chapter 5 serves kind of as a bridge between the first half and the second half of the gospel. So the two parts that reflect the main uh, two parts of the gospel. The first part is the Romans 8, 1, 8, or Romans 8, 1, 18 through 5.11. This deals with our position before God. It is, it, is, um, it is an objective thing. It's a judicial side of salvation. Because we believe that the blood of Jesus, when he died on the cross, cleanses us from all sins, we are declared not guilty, justified in the courts of heaven. It is objective. It is outside of ourselves. It deals with our acts of sin that we have been guilty of. The second part of the gospel begins really in uh, verse 12 of chapter 5. And this is the organic side of salvation. It is the sanctification of us. It is the embracing of what, so, so Christ died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood for our sins that they might be forgiven. But the second half of the gospel is the, the actual dealing with the sinner. It, it's actually dealing with, with the source. The, the, the justification part is dealing with the fruits of sin. The organic side is dealing with the sinner and the one who produces the sin. I was reading a book, and it said it this way. Uh, if, if you were to go to Kentucky and became the governor of Kentucky, and you decided to declare the state of Kentucky a dry state, you know what that means? No alcohol. How would you go about doing that? If you went into every store that sold whiskey <laughs> and alcohol and destroyed all the bottles of whiskey, you destroyed everything in, the, in, in every store, would you have solved the problem of alcohol? of there being alcohol in Kentucky? 
Because of what? The distilleries, right? Yeah, if you don't destroy the distilleries or at least shut them down, we don't want to get too violent here. If you don't, if you don't shut down those distilleries, they're going to keep cranking that stuff out. And so, so that's the part of the gospel, the second part that we're going to really delve into this morning that, that, has, that deals with the sinner. Our sins are one thing, but what about the sinner? What about the one who keeps producing those things? The heart that is predisposed to, to acts of sin because there's something in us that sins. In fact, there, there is this unholy spirit of sin that came in with Adam that needs to be dealt with. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the gospel of grace not only saves us positionally by forgiveness by his blood, it is the power of God to save us dispositionally, our crucifixion with him, and then his indwelling spirit in us to transform us and actually save us, not just from sins, but from ourselves. Does that make sense? The complete gospel of God is good news in that it not only provides justification in the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross when he died for us, and he co-signed our debt, as Dennis talked about last night. He took full responsibility for our debts of sin before God and, and paid our penalty off in his death. But there is so much more. There's so much more than just forgiveness of sins. Most of the, uh, of the church stops with that, that we are positionally right with God because of the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. But there's so much more. We died with Christ on the, co- on the cross so that he could offer himself to us as our new life within us through his spirit. As we learn to experience and enjoy and cooperate with this new life within us, he begins to touch different parts of our being. He begins to transform us and change our minds, our attitudes, and our dispositions so that we are indeed like Christ. That's a summary of of what Dennis said. I added some stuff because I wanted to kind of prep you for my sermon this morning. But that was pretty, did I do okay, Dennis? Is that all right? Yeah. All right. I didn't do so well in sermon prep, but he said I passed this time. All right, so I'm going to do something really weird this morning, do it really different. I want to read to you out of the, uh, the Passion Translation, which Dennis says is not actually a translation at all, but it's really good. Chapter 6 of Romans in the Passion Translation is really good. I'm just going to read this, uh, the first uh, 14 verses, and, and just enjoy it. Just, just listen and look and watch and take it in. And then I'm going to switch to the ESV as I preach. But I just feel like I really need just to read this to you because this is so awesome. Okay. I love the way uh, Brian Simmons translates, uh, paraphrase, however you want to say it, this, this first 14 verses of chapter 6. So would you just let me pray for us real quick and then, and then we're going to read this. This is so awesome. All right. I'm going to pray this. Glorious Father, give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know the Lord Jesus more fully and more intimately. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope to which the Lord Jesus has called us. 
Reveal to us the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us and to us and through us for those who believe. Lord, Lord God, Papa, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask and I pray that, that what I share this morning will be crystal clear and set the hearts of the hearers free, including myself, free from the bondage to sin, free from self, free from old sins that used to wreck us and bully us for our entire lives. May this place be flooded with your Holy Spirit and revelation power. May we all see and be set free by the truths in Romans 6, 1 through 14, that our hearts will be set free and set on fire by the prospects of a life of freedom. Oh, may we see ourselves with you. May you come in power and fullness in us and fall on us. Fill us all with the revelation of truth and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, and may revival begin in this church right now. In Jesus' name. Romans 6. Paul has just said that that by one man's trespass or transgression, that original sin of Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God and they took sin off the tree and that fruit and put it in themselves and became one with sin and Satan began to be lord of their lives and ruler of this world. By one transgression, we all became sinners. Here's Here's something that you may not know. You don't You're not a sinner because you commit acts of sin. Now, none of you are sinners if you believe in Jesus, but I'm I'm just going to explain how we get there. We're not sinners because we we commit sin. We sin because we are sinners. Have you ever thought about that? You think, oh, I'm a sinner because I did these horrible things in my life. No. No, you're a sinner because you were born in Adam's race. He sinned and became sin. He became the bearer of the unholy spirit of sin, and he passed that in his spiritual DNA right on down through the, through the ages, through all of us. So we are all guilty before God because we sin, because we're sinners, because we're related to Adam. And the problem is, I mean, Jesus, thank God that we didn't have to get holy first so that he would forgive our sins. He forgave our sins so that we could be holy. He's forgiven our sins by his blood. But there's something that needs to happen to the sinner. And so, by one man's obedience, his death on the cross, Jesus took sin for the human race and put it back on the tree where it came from and then died. He paid the penalty. He paid our debt. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And we are free. We go free. And that's wonderful. It's wonderful to be forgiven of sin, but wouldn't, you know, the, 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 the guilt and penalty of sin has been paid for. Sins past, present, and future. They're all paid for, for every human being on earth. Now, we have to put our faith in that to activate that, to translate that, to, to, re, to fully receive it. But your sins are paid for. Sins are Sins are done. But what about the power and slavery of sin? Sin, not sins, but sin. The old unholy spirit, that old old Adam person in us. 
a thing that, that, that bullies us and wrecks us. I, I, I've often thought of it this way. We, 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 uh, we're, we're, we're doing fine. We're walking down the street, and we turn in this alley, and we've got to go through this alley to get to our destination, and the bully of sin is standing there. You know how bullies are. And before we can get through that alley, we have to give him our lunch money. And, and the bully is sin, and he wants us to pay up by sinning. He offers us an opportunity to sin, and we've got to do that before we can get past him. How many of you have ever sinned just to get it out of the way? <laughs> just, to get, just to get it over with, so you can go on being holy? Am I the only one? I think I'm going to sit down now. I just... So, we're declared not guilty, but uh, the sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Messiah. So, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. God's grace trumps Adam's sin. Jesus' his, his death, his, 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 his act on the cross trumps what Adam did. The, the last Adam is the greater Adam. His obedience trumps the first Adam's disobedience. Hallelujah. Do you think Christ is greater than Adam? Do you think his act of obedience nullifies um, uh, Adam's, the first Adam's disobedience, act of disobedience, absolutely, praise God, by, by a billion. <laughs> so what do we do then? Do we persist in sin? Do we keep on sinning that God's kindness and grace will increase? We, I think we have the, the passion translation of this. Do we not? Is it not in the computer? Oh, there we go. Perfect. That's where I am right there. What a, so, so verse 1 says, what do we do then? Do we persist in sin that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. Okay, that's not up there, but here, here's the rest of it. What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once for all. What? We died? I thought Jesus died. Yep. We died to sin once for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule any longer? The bully has been nullified. He no longer has the authority to take our lunch money to get past him. Awesome. Or have you forgotten that all of us who are immersed into union with Christ, which we have been, were immersed into the union with his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and co-entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered by his Holy Spirit, I'm adding words, but they're right, to walk in the freshness of new life in Christ. Guys, everything has changed. And here's why. For since we are permanently grafted into experience to, into him to experience a death like his on the cross, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like him and the new life that it imparts through his spirit. 
Could we be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? We are no longer in Adam. We are now as as believers in Christ Jesus. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. I love that phrase, to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. So that we would know we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Hallelujah. Guys, I'm going to say this over and over again. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross dealt with our guilt. Dealt with the guilt of sins committed. But we were co-crucified with him. The cross deals with the sinful self. The blood deals with sins. The cross deals with self. How many people have missed that completely? Martin Luther, the great reformer, somehow missed that as a major tenet of the gospel. He got the first half that, are, that, that we're justified by faith in Christ and our sins are, are, are completely dealt with. In, so, someone said, oh, that Martin Luther had gone on. In this, in, he, got, he got the first, uh, that uh, Romans 1.18 through 5.11, he got that part. Oh, that he had gone on into Romans 6 and 7 and 8 and gotten that part just as well. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the Messiah, with the anointed one, we know, listen to that word know. See, that's going to be an important word in my sermon because you have to know something in order to believe it, in order to experience. That's how it works. We know it, we believe it, we experience it. That's going to be key in this entire message. We know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. And we were included in that sacrifice. We were included in his death. Let me say this, because I'll forget to say it. We, we didn't co-bleed with Jesus. In other words, we weren't, we weren't, co, we weren't a co-sacrifice with Jesus. And we didn't shed blood with him on the cross so our sins would be forgiven. That was the act of the last Adam. The last Adam, his final act of obedience was his death on the cross. That was the last Adam. And he trumped the first Adam's disobedience and set us free from the guilt and penalty of sin. But as the second man in his resurrection, he has now become the head of a new race, a new race of people that are walking in the newness of life of the Spirit. And the power of sin and slavery of sin has been broken in our co-crucifixion with him so that we're now a part of the new man, the second, the second man, and that race that no longer walk in slavery and the power of sin. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once for all, but now he lives continuously for the Father's pleasure and the Father's will. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, and you were joined with him in his, in his crucifixion and then in his burial and then his resurrection. 
You, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union. If, if you don't get this part, in union with Christ, because it has to be done in union with Christ. Listen to this. This set my heart free. This is the phrase that where the penny dropped for me to be able to embrace what I'm saying this morning. I was listening on my way back from Columbus to Watchman Knees on audiobook, Watchman Knees, The Normal Christian Life, and he said this about what I just read. God has put us in union with Christ. He has put us in Christ. And everything that is true of Christ is now true of you and me. What? What? So just abide in him. Just stay in him. In union with him, the anointed one. Verse 12, sin is, de- is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer, he's not, no longer the bully in the alley. He can't take your lunch money anymore. You must no longer give an opportunity to rule over your life. Give it, sin, an opportunity to rule over your life. Controlling how you live, compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purposes or purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I could sit down right now, but I'm not going to because I like to talk too much. Stop laughing, Nettie. All right. So, how many of you have joyously received the forgiveness of God and experienced that wonderful honeymoon period where you just, you know, you're, you're like MC Hammer. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember he's MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Sin and temptation. You can't touch this. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am walking in forgiveness. Hallelujah. And then we turn the corner into the alley, and there's the old bully. Give me your lunch money, son. Give me your lunch money. Thanks for your honesty. (laughs) Thanks. Somebody else has experienced this. And all of a sudden, the honeymoon's over in an instant when we run into that old sin that we just can't quite get past. The temptation seems way overwhelming, and we give in. We give them our lunch money, and we're defeated. Man, it's like, I thought I was past that. I remember reading Romans 6 for the first time that I remember in college, because I I just kept reading the gospel. I just love Jesus in the gospels. And I finally got through the book of Acts. I kind of missed Jesus during the book of Acts. I didn't really understand he was back in the disciples, but, you know, I was still learning. But then I got into Romans, and I read Romans 3 and 6. It says, we died to sin, and I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> um, no, uh, I just sinned. That's why I'm reading this book right now. I'm trying to figure out the answers. And I got to Romans 6. Don't you know that you died to sin, that the body of sin might be done away with, that you should no longer be a slave to sin. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I had just 
three months earlier been called into ministry. I know God met me and asked me to be a minister, you know, to, to basically his call was to do something about the pain I saw in people's lives. And this has everything to do with that, by the way. I said, I must not even be a Christian because I just sinned. And this, Paul is telling me that I'm dead to sin and it's, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Then what the heck just happened to me? If I'm saved, how could I have sinned if I'm dead to it? And thus started a journey of 44 years in the wilderness with this, with this issue. Now, I've experienced a lot of joy, <clears throat> a lot of effective ministry. I've seen a lot of people set free. I, I've, I've been able to preach and teach here all these 20 or 34 years or whatever. <clears throat> but I couldn't get this. I couldn't understand it. I was, I was oh, how many times have I cried out to God, God, I know this is true. But how do, how do I make it true of me that I have died, I've been co-crucified with Christ, I am dead to sin, I know that this is true, but how is it true for me? The honeymoon, I never really had a honeymoon because I got saved so early I didn't even know the joy of, of my new salvation. I didn't have all those sins to be forgiven. And so <clears throat> I just kind of grew up in the church and believing in Jesus and and when I got into my teen years, <clears throat> man, temptation and sin was my constant companion. The bully was always in the alley, always taking my lunch money. And I just remember experiencing a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration with myself. I, I shared a poem recently a few weeks ago about the two of me. I shared that. I won't, I won't do that again. <clears throat> But it's not just sins committed that we need dealt with. We need the old self, the old sinful self to be dealt with. And the blood of Jesus is not going to do that. It's just not going to do that. It takes the cross. It takes the cross to do that. So... I want to read um, from the ESV now, and then I'm just going to make some comments as I go through here and kind of unpack this a little bit. So Romans uh, 6.2 says, how, how can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Well, it's pretty easy to me. <laughs> just do it, you know. Just like Nike, uh, just do it. That's not really funny, but anyway. <laughs> but that's my experience, you know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, let me point something out here. That th This is just so good. Okay, so, so we have the word of God. The word of God is truth, right? Anybody not believe that? That the Bible, the word of God is the truth. It is the standard by which we measure every other thing. So what if my history and my experience don't line up with what the Word of God says? Which one of those is wrong? My experience. My experience tells me the lie that I am not dead to sin, that I, I was not crucified with Christ, that my old man, my old self lives on. 
In spiritual matters, it, it takes something beyond the realm of experience, beyond the realm of logic, beyond the realm of even just understanding to make things real that are true. Does that make any sense at all? I have to believe the Word of God over my experience. That's the bottom line. If the Word of God says I was crucified with Christ, I'm dead to sin, then I'm crucified with with Christ and dead to sin. And not only that, but I was buried with him in baptism into death, into his death, I was immersed in that, as it says in the Passion, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. That's newness of life means to walk in obedience to God in the power of the Spirit. God, guys, it's always in the power of the Spirit, in Christ Jesus. It's not us. It's not our ability. In fact, remember what Paul says I, in Galatians 2.20. I have been. Every time it talks about, by the way, every time it talks about our death and our crucifixion, our death to sin and all of that, it's always an aorist past tense. It's something that happened. George Mueller said, there came a day in the life of George Mueller when I died. I died to all my, my, my personal desires, wants, preferences, and, you know, will. And I surrendered to him, and, and he became my life. Well, th- that's his experience, but it's not exactly true in terms of when he died. The scriptures never talk about us dying in the present tense or the future tense. It always refers back to the death of Jesus. So you and I were crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago on his cross. You know, the thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus were crucified with him, right? But they were crucified on their own crosses. You and I are much more personally involved in being crucified with him in that we were co-crucified, one nail, two hands, Two feet. And by the way, you can't crucify yourself. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I just need to die to myself. I just need, I just need to die. Yeah, sorry, it's already happened. You can't pull that off. You're dead. I heard a sermon one time by one of my Asbury heroes uh, from seminary. He said, he preached a sermon out of um, Ephesians 3 or 4. I believe it was Ephesians 4 about uh, talking about you need to put off the old man and put on the new. His sermon was called, You're Dead, Now Die. (laughs) You're dead, now die. And and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, except that it's true. We need to embrace the fact by faith that we died with Christ and we're dead to sin based on something that happened 2,000 years ago when we were co-crucified with him. The old man, the old self, the old Adam was crucified with Christ so that... uh, So so, so let me read on here. (laughs) Verse 5, For if we have been united with him, and we have in his death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know, we know, get that word know here, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, there's something I need to explain here. When it says, uh, in order that the body of sin might be done away with, I like what the way the Passion Translation says this. In order that, um, that the stronghold of sin in our weak, infirmed bodies, the stronghold of sin might be dismantled. The cross has dismantled the stronghold of sin in our mortal bodies so that we now have the choice in the Spirit to present our bodies as instruments to God, instruments of righteousness, and not offer our bodies as instruments and slaves to sin, to be used to sin and do, and do terrible things through the lust of the flesh. Guys, we have died to sin, but two things haven't died. Sin has not died to you. Temptation has not died to you. Well, I say three things. Temptation and sin have not died to you, nor has your fallen body died yet. How many of you know that your body, I've said this before, uh, Francis of Assisi used to call his body brother ass, which means donkey, by the way. He's like dragging around my body, this physical body of mine that craves all kinds of terrible things. Man, uh, I've recently tried to diet, and uh, my body wants every kind of food that's not good for me. It's craving sugar, it's craving white flour, it's craving, you know, in the form of cookies and cake and, you know, ice cream, you name it, because that's what my body wants. What's that? Spaghetti. Spaghetti, Spaghetti. yes, spaghetti. Craving everything that's not good for me. And sin's like, sin is like, let's do this, body. And so what, what the crucifixion of Christ has done is dismantle the stronghold of that so that we're no longer slaves to sin. Hallelujah. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. How can that be, Neil? If I still sin, if I still struggle, how can that be? I'm going to explain it. Verse 8, now... If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, I want to jump down to verse 11 because for sake of time, I want to cut to the chase and get right to the point. So you must also, and the word there is reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So you must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin based on what? What are we basing our death to sin on? The word of God that tells us that Christ has been crucified and we have been crucified with Christ. We see that in the word. We know that with our minds. And now here comes our part. This is our part in this. God has done everything else for us. He has crucified us in, he has put us in Christ and put Christ on the cross. So we're crucified with him. And so we know that from the Word of God. But it's more, this knowing has to be more than just an intellectual assent to a theological tenet. We We have to put our whole faith in this, that 
regardless of my experience and regardless of how much I've struggled in the past, regardless of my history or my experience, the word of God is true and that I know that, that, that I consider it true to the fullest extent that I have died with Christ and I have died to sin. Now, we see it, we know it, and now here comes the part where we reckon it so. Someone has pointed out that, that the only thing that we do perfectly as human beings is arithmetic. Nothing else we do is perfect. If we try to tell a story from history, we'll screw the story up. We'll either exaggerate it or we'll minimize it, but we never get it exactly right. But when we do accounting, we can actually get the numbers exactly perfect. We, we reckon it. So by the time we're done, we have reckoned. We, it's, a, it's, a, it's an accounting term. And so what Paul is saying here is that we need to consider as perfectly true and reckon upon it as a done deal, as absolutely true, that, that um, so reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. That is faith to the next level. That is an undeniable, indisputable, immutable fa- a truth, fact that we are putting our trust in. Does that make sense? You guys don't look like it's making sense. It's like this can't be disputed. It's done. It's a done deal. The word of God says it. Jesus died 2,000 years on the cross. I was put on the cross with him. I died. I was buried. I was raised. Now I'm raised. Death has no longer, death and sin have no hold on him, which means death and sin has no hold on me. I got a friend that's, that's really struggling with, you know, the whole concept of death. Death has no power over us as believers. It just doesn't. It's done. Death is gone in our lives. Someday our body will wear out, and we'll just step across that little line into the glory of our future life, to experience life beyond life. Yeah, hallelujah. So that's over for us. And in the same way that it has no hold on Jesus, we believe We reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me finish by saying this. (laughs) I love this so much. As we come to see and understand and know the truth, and we reckon it to be so by faith, the Holy Spirit comes in behind us, and he makes it real in our experience. The Holy Spirit transacts the the experiential reality of our freedom from sin. It's through revelation, folks. You can't reason your way through this. Reason will only take you so far. Then the Holy Spirit has to bring revelation. So I'm going to share something super personal with you. Super, super personal with you. I told you, 44 years wandering in the wilderness, trying to figure out what, on that fateful day, 44 years ago, almost to the day, because I, I was not quite 21 when I experienced reading Romans 3 and 6 and 8 for the first time. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I don't understand what Romans 6 is telling me. 
And I sure don't understand how Romans 8 has gotten me out of this dilemma of I, I do the things I don't want to do and I can't do the things I want to do and the things I don't want to do I keep on doing and the things I want to do I don't find the power in me to do it. I said, Lord, if you will ever show me how to live in this truth, I'll write a book and tell the world. Well, that book hasn't been written yet, but and you're the first ones to hear this from me. A few days ago, as I was, I was working my way through the preparation for the sermon, I said, Holy Spirit, I, I got up in the morning. I felt, I just felt horrible, not on the outside, but on the inside. I said, Holy Spirit, I long for you to remove the scales from my eyes that I may fully see the truths hidden away in Romans 6 and 8. I read the words and I do believe that they are true and they are true for me. But only you, Holy Spirit, can bring the revelation that makes the truths of Romans 6 and 8 an experiential reality in my life. Lord God, have mercy on my soul. Send the revelation of your Spirit for me to see clearly and to enter, into, enter in fully into the fullness and riches of Romans 6 and 8. I cannot possibly get there on my own, and ne- nor can you. Holy Spirit, open the spiritual eyes of my heart and mind to the truths that I died with Christ, I am dead to sin, I was buried with him, I was raised to him to live a new life in the Spirit, I am no longer a slave to sin, my old Adam flesh life is, has been put to death in co-crucifixion with him, Christ, that I live in newness of life in the Spirit, and that I am truly dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher and revealer of truth. Please come upon me and reveal these truths to me and set me free. And the next morning in my journal I wrote this, and God in his great mercy did answer my prayer. Hallelujah. I see it. I see it. And I'm experiencing it. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I still have the capacity to sometimes give in to sin? Absolutely. But I see and understand what I've never seen and understand before in the Spirit. And I'm not bragging. That's a testimony. I'm really ashamed that it's taken me 44 years to get here. I really am. Why has it taken so long? Well, the Lord just said, hey, my timing's my timing. That's what he told me. (laughs) Some people never see this, so, you know, at least I'm ahead of them. I got to be ahead of somebody. Dennis got this way. He's only 40-something years old. He's a a young man. This way before I did. But here's the analogy that I want to end with. My grandpa worked on trains for his entire career well into his 70s, and uh, he had never seen an airplane on the ground uh, before my dad took him to the airport for some reason. I think my uncle was flying home uh, from University of Mississippi to to Jackson, Tennessee, where they lived, and so they went to the airport, wherever that was, Memphis, I guess, and my grandpa saw a, a big airliner for the first time in his life. And he turned to my dad, and you've got to remember, he's in his 70s. He turned to my dad, and he says, how in the world can that metal building get off the ground? <laughs> I have no idea how that works. Because he couldn't understand the law of gravity superseding the law of aer- aerodynamics. I mean, not superseding the law of aerodynamics. 
And so let's just say that you've never seen an airplane before. And so you go and you're standing there and you have the, 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 your friend is the pilot that flies this plane. He's the pilot. And he says to you, you see that big plane over there? I know it's a cylinder with wings sticking out on each side. I want you to go get in that cylinder and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly that thing and we're going to take off. We're going to go up in the air and I'm going to take you to your destination. Now, I've never seen an airplane. You've never seen an airplane before. And you're like, what? That's not possible. That, that big thing can't. It's Gravity's going to. He's like, no, I'm telling you, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just trust me, that thing will fly. So you, you see the airplane. You hear the words of the pilot say, that thing will fly. And there's a point that you come to know it. And then, and you see other planes leaving the ground. You're like, oh, you know, that, that guy got it. <laughs> that man that just boarded that plane, he got in the air. That person, that, that Hudson Taylor that experienced the exchange life, he got it. His plane took off. He lived in victory. He lived in, in, in freedom. So maybe it's possible for me to do that. Maybe you've known other people. Phil Shank, uh, one of my heroes that are still, still alive. He lives that way. Why not me? So you, you see it you, you know it, it, you know it's possible, and there's something in you that says, you know, I reckon that's so. I saw another plane take off, that must be true, that that thing will fly, and that my pilot is here telling me that he has the words to tell me that it's true. <clears throat> so let's say that I still have to buy a ticket. So by faith, I buy the ticket, and I go, and I, I climb up, and I get in that cylinder, and I go sit in a seat and buckle up. And, and that's all I can do. I have, by a step of faith, I have entered into the plane. I've buckled up. I've accepted the promise. I believe it's true. Now, the pilot who represents the Holy Spirit gets in the cockpit because he's the one that knows how to fly the plane. And he punches all the right levers and and that turns all the right dials and starts the plane and taxis the runway. And then in his expertise, in his ability to fly this plane, he takes off. And suddenly I'm flying. The Holy Spirit makes what I, what I came to see and know and believe and reckon to be true. He makes it an experiential reality. Does that make sense? Guys, it's that simple and it's that difficult. It's so simple that when I left for Columbus that morning, listening to Watchman Nee explain Romans 6, Romans 6 in his book, Normal Christian Life, I did, not understand, I did not have this experiential reality in my life. And when I got home, I did. C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy says that his intellectual process from being an atheist when his mother died of cancer when he was a kid, he decided it wasn't a God because he prayed and God didn't answer his prayer, to, to actually becoming a person that believed that Jesus might possibly be God and that he might possibly be able to give a person life. He says that I got in a, a, a motorcycle and a sidecar of my brothers. I sat in the sidecar and when we left home, 
to go to the zoo, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer. And when we arrived at the zoo, I was. And he said it wasn't an intellectual exercise. It wasn't even feelings. He said, I just simply left home not believing and got to the zoo believing. That's kind of what happened with me on my trip to and from Columbus. I left not understanding this. I arrived home fully embracing that this is not only true, it's true for me. And I want to pray right now that it will be true for you. Father God, I don't even understand fully how this all works. I just know that the Holy Spirit makes it work. That Christ's death on the cross 2,000 years ago accomplished two things. By his blood, I'm cleansed. We're cleansed from our sins. But by the cross, we are co-crucified with him. Our old man is put to death. We're buried with him, and we're raised with him to live a new life in the Spirit. And we, we see it. We acknowledge it's true. We choose to reckon upon it with faith, however little faith we have. But we're just going to stay the course. We're going to believe that if it says it, it's true. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do in each heart here what you've done for countless people through the ages and what you did for me to make it real and experiential reality. And I pray this for each person before me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power and revelation of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.